Alright, welcome to the Deconstructions Podcast, everybody. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. And we got something special for you today. Very special. Extra. Like about as special as it gets, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So we talk about this when we kick this episode off, but we have a very special guest with us today. And um, I know I talk about this in the episode, but it's important to, um, I think, kick this one off by by giving some context. And so um, one of our dear friends, Simon Forsyth, some of you reached out to us, is very sweet, on social media and through email and stuff when you found out, uh, especially those of you who've been listening to us from the beginning, he was our second ever episode. Um, dear friend who helped us kickstart this whole project, helped us set up our uh, original website, um, helped us with all sorts of stuff. Massive uh, support. Yeah, so Simon Forsyth was our was our first ever live interview, um, episode number two. Um, you guys should go back and listen to it. I'm so happy that we got a chance to do it because it's, now it's this time capsule that we have. It's wonderful. Forever. Yeah. Um, so we had uh, so we have Mel Forsyth, his wife, on today. Hey, Mel. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Mel um, was kind enough to join us today to talk about uh, Simon and um, you know his legacy, his you know the things that we loved about him and, um, and just talk about like his journey and, and where he was going. And, um, and so the second part of the series will be, um, with a dear friend of ours who's been on the show multiple times. I think he's the longest running champion. I sweet, think. sweet uncle Shia. Yeah. We'll talk more about the, the Camino. So, so yeah, what else, what else do we want to say? Yeah, no, it's just kind of one of those things that, um, you kind of commemorate life while it's happening and, you pick up whatever's happening around you and you, you honor it and you, you, we tell stories and this is kind of what we do on this podcast. And a lot of times it's, you know, reaching out and trying to find that author that we think is going to give people some, you know, some hope or some different perspective or, you know, some exciting things to think about. But, um, sometimes it's just good to just drop all that for a second and just be human and look at what's around you. Cause that's just as special and Simon and Melanie Forsyth are the reason John and I are here. Yeah. And uh, we all can't be without each other. Yeah. We're all inextricably linked. We love each other. Yep. Yeah. And um, their church uh, was my church and is still my family. And Mel is my family. Yeah. And now she is the, the lead pastor and always was the lead pastor, but now she's doing it on her own mm-hmm. of the church that her and Simon pastored and started together. So just letting you guys all hear this is so important because this whole thing is more than just ideas. It's real life. And so this is a really special episode. So thanks for being here, Mel. Hi, I'm honored. Thank you. Yeah. So one of the things that we'll definitely do too, um, because I know I I meant to mention this during um, our interview when we talked to you is um, we'll put put the links to Life Church in the show notes. So if you happen to live in the area and you're looking for a church, um, you know, we'll we'll direct you the right, the right way to go. Um, if you want to listen to Mel's sermons, if you want to listen to, to Simon's sermons, um, there's a there's an app where you can do that as well. Um, definitely highly recommend that. Highly recommend it. Other than that, um, James Truslow, who happens to be uh, your worship leader now, yeah. right? Um, provided the, the the music for this episode, so that was really special that we were able to um, kind of bring that full circle and. Who also provided the music for our launch party? Yes, when we started the podcast. Mm, that's right, sweet baby James. <laughs> His angelic love voice. Love you, James. Beautiful voice. He's a man. He's he's a great he's a great great man. Love you, James. And he's got new music out, and we'll have that in the show notes too. So go check out his stuff and uh, support him. And uh, thanks again, Mel. 
You're welcome. We've got to do the thing where we say like who we have like so oh, so yeah yeah. With, without further ado, <laughs> we bring you Melanie, Melanie freaking Forsyth. The waves beneath you watch to stand still create things yeah to come. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast, everybody. You're, you're allowed to laugh into the mic. I am? It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We are coming to you live from Gahanna, Ohio, in the home of Melanie Forsyth. That's right. Why are we here, John? Well, we are here because uh, those of you who may have listened to us for a very long time, um, we're always apologizing for our early episodes, but uh, one of the instrumental episodes that we had at the very, very beginning, if you've been sticking around for a while, was our very first actual live interview. So we had our first episode where it was just Adam and I, and our second episode was with a dear friend of ours named Simon Forsythe. Mm-hmm. And so he was our very first live interview. Doubting and belonging. Yeah. Yeah. So he talked about it. He was our, our, our pastor, and, and he talked about um, how, how do you pastor a church um, with, with folks who have different beliefs and um, may have questions and doubts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we have on Mel Forsythe today. Hello. <laughs> and you may notice she has a great accent. What part of Ohio are you from? <laughs> I'm from the South. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, so, uh, so Mel, tell us a little bit about, obviously we'll get into um, specifically like why we wanted to have you on, um, especially now, um, but talk a little bit about your upbringing, uh, where are you actually from? <laughs> yeah, um, hi everyone. I'm, uh, yeah, I grew up in Australia. I was born in Australia and um, a pretty great, part of the world. It was lovely. Uh, my mom and dad, uh, my mom and dad became Christians when I was three. And so I was, uh, introduced to a really wild kind of Christianity at a very young age. It's all I knew. Um, and and what I would describe wild is very charismatic. Mm. Uh, just, I mean, the term holy roller was normal in, in the experience of church that I grew up. It It was was literal. It was literal. (laughs) Yeah. I I went to a church where I, as a three-year-old, brought a sleeping bag because you just didn't know. You just didn't know. You just didn't know. The spirit might be moving. And if he is, then it's, I'm going to be like asleep there. So yeah. Snacks too. Snacks in a sleeping bag? You know, there was always snacks, but, you know, we practiced communion a lot, so that really helped with the, with the hunger. <laughs> Let's do it again. I, I have deep memories of sneaking into the back and eating oh, the communion bread oh, uh, from Absolutely. hunger because people were just laid out all over the place uh, receiving amazing. from Jesus. Yeah. It felt amazing to steal the communion bread. Yes, it did. As it a, was As a child. It did. I, I'm sorry for all of my transubstantiation. I love you all. I'm so sorry. So I repent sorry. now. Really bad. But tasted amazing. I hope my kids get that experience of stealing communion bread. Yeah, you know. I, I really do. I hope my kids get that experience. Yeah, it's it's a good one. My kids are uh, firmly following in my footsteps, so it's good. <laughs> okay. We're so, making it. Charismatic upbringing. Yeah. In Australia. Yes. And what, yeah, what did that evolution look like? Uh, it was really interesting, actually, because, you know, again, you know, when you're, when you're young, you, all you know is what you know. Totally. You know, so that, that was my experience was when, you know, church was loud and vibrant and wild and crazy things happened and you didn't really know what it was going to be like from week to week. Mm-hmm. And 
there would be people falling down on the ground and, <laughs> you know, uh, my, I didn't have, my first uh, music lesson wasn't a piano lesson or a guitar lesson, it was a tambourine lesson. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. That. There is nothing, that is the most charismatic thing I you've ever said in your life. Because, like, you need to bring your tambourine with you to church to participate. Did it have ribbons on it? Yes, it did. And, oh, and, and, yes! And, look, the ribbons had meanings. They were of course they different did. colors for, like, white for purity, uh, green for, I don't remember growth, what green maybe? was. Maybe growth, growth black for from my sin, sin. red for the blood, oh. yellow for the, for the resurrection. The streets of gold. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> So, and, and honestly, like, it's so funny because I have such wild, and it was such a wild place. Like, my earliest memories were uh, people in, like, bell-bottoms and long-haired hippies and super wild uh, congregating in my parents' house, and just there was, there was something about it. It was, it was magical, and yeah. I never felt afraid once. Sure. It just felt like, whoo, this is incredible. And um, it wasn't until my late teens that I started to be like, eh. What's going on here? There's other ways of practicing Christianity. This is interesting. Sure. That I didn't know anything about until then. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're obviously, you're, you're a youth. You're a very young person living in Australia. I am a youth. A and youth. then this, this young rapscallion from Ireland oh, yeah. moves when he was 14. Is that right? Yeah, he was 14 when he moved, but I met him when he was 17. Okay. On a, a Holy Spirit conga line. <laughs> of course. Can't make this stuff up, I, people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm triggering all of your listeners right now. I love, no, we love this. <laughs> I was on a Holy Spirit conga line um, going through the church, yes. cha-cha-charing it um, in the middle of worship service. She's not kidding. I'm, I'm not joking. No. And there was this really cute dude and he was standing there looking absolutely shell-shocked. And his hips didn't lie. And, his, and, and apparently my skirt was super short because although we were charismatic, we had... We were not like weirdos. So, like, you could wear whatever you want. You could wear. We weren't like legalistic. We weren't. We were very open and free in the area of your body and what you did. It was just a different type of, you know, yeah. expression. You're Aussies. So we're Aussies. We yeah. don't wear clothes. So, you know, <laughs> that's what happens. So, I apparently wasn't wearing a lot of clothes, and he was interested in that. Ah, um, yeah. Fantastic. Like yeah. a young 17 year old would be. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, anyway. Um, so, yeah, I met him. I, I was that night he accepted Jesus. I was there. I saw it happen. Probably two months later, I was at his baptism in a pool, and I watched as, and, you know, we weren't dating or anything. We were kids. But I remember my dad having a prophetic word over him saying, one day you'll be a pastor, and thinking, Dad, you got it wrong. <laughs> Bad. Because he was so shy, and he just didn't seem like that type of guy. You know, the, I grew up in the charismatic movement, so pastors were loud and mm. obnoxious and wild. And Simon wasn't. He was quiet and he was shy. Which and if an you introvert. know him, yeah. that is bananas. Yeah. 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 Like if you've if you've been in the church, if you're somebody that's experienced his sermons or anything like that, that would be something that's like, whoa. So when he was prophesied over by your dad, you're gonna be a pastor. Now that I know the whole story, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. That also meant, and you're going to marry Mel, and she's going to help you get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. You know, and that was my job. I, I actually, the funny thing was, I was not actually attracted to him, like, physically. I remember when he called me up for a date, 
he'd just taken over my dad's youth ministry. And so I was like, still, this is weird. And then, um, but he called me up and said like, you know, and not even like, do you want to go on a date? He wasn't slick at all. He said, I like you. Do I have a chance? Oh. I know, like no coolness, I love it. I love the 0% cool. And I remember thinking in my head, I could help you. Oh, no. I'll go out with so you. So it begins. And so it begins. Project yeah. Simon. Project Simon. I thought I could really help you. Oh, wow. And I was that crazy. And then, yeah. you know, within a month, I was like, oh, and he's sexy too. There it is. Yeah. First thing I noticed is like, this guy has amazing hair. He does have amazing yeah. hair. Yeah. Mm. I think that within the fifties they called it a quaff or something. It was a, it was a yeah. massive quaff. Yeah, and, and and he had that streak of silver going through. Yeah, we have dogs barking in the background. This is live. This is live. Live. This is what you get. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Simon. No. <laughs> um, no, it's fine. We don't care if there's dogs in the background. We do not care. Yeah, we're okay. very nobody cares. Unprofessional podcast. I think he's just jealous. That I, I locked so. him away. So you guys got together, and it wasn't long after that that you guys were in leadership and, and on the express train to being full-time pastors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really quickly. I mean, by, you know, of course, we did the whole, like, and, and you know, fast track to getting married because he was a youth pastor. And, you know, obviously there was no getting your girlfriend pregnant. Like that was, and I was actually super aware of that because I mean, it's really hard to not have sex. Let's be honest. Totally. (laughs) It's really terrible. Painfully. Um, Yes. But, you know, I was like, (laughs) but, you know, most people don't have the pressure of like, if we have sex, he loses his job and maybe his calling and his career for his whole life. Like, and I felt that burden. Massive public shaming. Yes. I was like, oh, (laughs) I can't do that. Like, that's not, that's not going to work. So, you know, we got engaged when I was 18. We got married when I was 18. I mean, we, we did the total classic, like, yeah, yeah, like we're doing it. We're staying pure till marriage. We're walking it out and and we did it. You know, it was hard. It was horribly hard. We did it. (laughs) Yeah. So, so you're 18 years old. You're you're married. How old is? And Simon was a little bit older. He right? was so, a couple years older. Okay, so he's 20. You're 18, and so you're you're ministering together. At what point did you decide to leave your entire families behind and travel? You know, the other side of the planet where you knew no one. I'm assuming. And we're the anti-Australia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. How long? How long were you guys uh, married and in, in uh, you know yeah. in living in Australia before you decided six to six or seven years? Okay. We were there six or seven years, um, and you know it was funny because we were working for my dad, which was easy for me, hard for my husband. You know right. that's not easy working sure. for your father-in-law, and at the same time, uh, my my dad was getting ready to retire. And so Simon kind of had this feeling of like, I just don't want to sit around and wait for the new person. And we knew we weren't old enough to take on the church ourselves. So he just had this crazy idea. And I always believe that in the heart of every Irishman is a desire to live in America. Like it is just a fundament. <laughs> they are born with it. It's like America <laughs> is the promised land for every Irish boy. That's so funny. I've it's never heard true. that before. Yeah. Ask Bono. He will say it all the time. <laughs> like, America is it. And um, so he was like, I want to go to America. And I thought, what the heck? Like, why would they hire two people from Australia when they have, you know, they professionalized Christianity in, in America? <laughs> yes, we did. You know, like. <laughs> and, Definitely turned into a business, oh, that's for yeah. sure. That's Big right. Time. And yeah. in Australia, it wasn't like, you know, 3% of people go to church on a on a Sunday in Australia. So I was like, why would they want us? We're pathetic. And three weeks later, we were flying here for an interview. And then we got a job in Columbus, Ohio. And we thought we'd just come for two years. That was the deal. Um, 
but it's it, it will be 17 years. Wow. February man. that we moved here. Man, yeah. oh, man. Yeah. And so you locked in with um, sort of a charismatic with a seatbelt sort of movement, the vineyard. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. You know, that's a, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put it. That's a yeah. good way of putting it. Yeah, so uh, we came, and like the vineyard was the closest thing I could find to being, you know, what I came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which was Assemblies of God, right? Yeah. Which so, in Australia looked quite a bit different. Yeah, it's Hillsong. The, I mean. Yeah, it's Hillsong. Yeah. Does anybody know who Hillsong is? Yeah. Have yeah. you heard of Hillsong? Have you heard the word? <laughs> yes. So um, Hillsong. That's where yeah. I come from yeah. and uh, in, in that little world. So the vineyard, I was like, okay, they get this. They, they're good. So, we, yeah, we moved in. We, we just became youth pastors at a normal church in Columbus, Ohio. And then uh, 11 years ago, we decided to stay and we planted a church with 30 adults and decided to, to throw a hat in the ring yep. of church life, see where it led. So, so the part of that that I think is so interesting is, is not only did you like decide we're going to plant a church, which is I'm assuming is terrifying in and of itself. Yeah, I was vomiting the first day. <laughs> did you have toilet. panic attacks? Yes. Yes. Because, you know, my parents were pastors and I knew the sacrifice. Oh, yeah. yeah. I knew how hot it was. It can be a hot mess. Yeah, I was petrified. Yeah. But, but the unique so. part of this, though, is not only are you planning a church, but you're planning a church as a husband and wife team, yeah. which is kind of Co- unusual. pastors. I don't think we said that explicitly. Yeah. yeah. Co- co-lead pastors. Yeah, I'm not a pastor's wife. Look, and I, I don't know too many people, husband and wives, who would want to work together anywhere, yeah. right? much less a, a fledgling church yeah. where you're praying that this thing works out because it's your income. That's right. Your livelihood. It's nuts. So talk, talk about that. What, were the first, what was the first year like? Yeah, it was really scary. I mean, and the thing is for me, like, it was actually once we started, I was fine. It was the year before. It was the buildup because I... You know, mm. my, my parents had started a church, but it was done really poorly. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, the church structure that I came from, and this isn't Hillsong, it was before my parents jumped into them. They were safer. We, you know, my parents became Christians in a pretty wild little uh, group in Australia, and they really marketed church planting after multi-level marketing yeah. style. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like <clears throat> just recruit people to go and start churches. Mm-hmm. And hope that it works. But you don't support them. You don't pay them. You don't give them any money. Um, and you just shame them if it's not growing. You just hype them up. Yeah. And send them out. And so my send parents were sent out 12 hours away from where they were born with no support, no friends, and given $1,000 and said, go see what happens. And so I was nine when that happened. And so I That's knew. brutal, man. It was brutal. Yeah. That's It was brutal. It wasn't fair. That's and my parents up. really... It really hurt them. Yeah, I bet. You know, but they worked so damn hard. They did a really good job. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, but, like, honestly, by the time the church could pay my dad, which was probably five or six years into mm-hmm. the church plant, um, yeah, like, I had grown, I had had five years of extreme poverty. Yeah. And that completely marred my view of what church planting was. And totally. so I had PTSD in the most major way. And I really didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And my, but my husband was just so keen and he just wanted to go for it. And so after years and years of kind of going back and forth, I finally said, okay, okay, we'll give it a go. But, but the hard thing was, I, you know, I said to him, I'm like, like right now I'm in a church and I'm fine, I'm functioning, but, but 
I'm okay with some of the things that I don't agree with because my name isn't on the door. The problem is if I start a church and my name's on the door, I'm going to really care. I'm going to care a lot about everything that happens in this place. Right. And I don't know if I have the if I can handle the veracity of caring that much about something that could totally break my heart. Well, it's an enormous burden. Yeah. It's an enormous burden because you go from a place where you can kind of pick and choose what you decide Absolutely. to care about. Absolutely. To literally now everything matters. Yeah. I only I did ministry I could control and exit stage left for 10 years. And suddenly it was like, oh, this is, I know, I knew the cost. So by the time we had that first service and I was puking my guts out in the toilet, um, I was like, okay, game on, I can do this. It was the pre-build-up to it that really wrecked me. Yeah. Yeah, it was scary. Gosh. Man. But we started as co-pastors, so we both were leading it together, which is nuts. <laughs> what ifs, you yeah. know? Yeah, what are, what are the challenges with that, you know? Like, uh-huh. like we do- don't have all night. It's wild. I mean, just out of curiosity, obviously, like, Simon was really the one pushing for this. But, like, yeah. obviously, you both have your distinct visions for, you know, how you want the church to yeah. look and, and, yeah. and what you want to accomplish and do. Yeah. So how do you, like, I, I, obviously, that's a, you know, it's a macrocosm of a, a marriage, essentially. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of compromise that goes into that and mm-hmm. sacrificing mm-hmm. things that maybe you wanted to do and you're, like, kind of, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. that was more of a statement than a question, really. <laughs> I have a question based on that statement. Go for it. I, I was, so I, I, if our listeners don't know, I became a part of this church, this leadership structure. Yes, he did. And the first time I met him, I didn't like him. I can imagine. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> no. Like, I feel terrible saying it, but I, I don't think like, we, I think I don't we like talked my about 26-year-old this. self. No, I, because. I thought you were used, I thought you were a used car salesman the oh, first time sure. I met you. No, listeners. And I, then I just found I out that so, you are that, you just, this is you. I'm so sure. You were just very, um, <laughs> I don't know what the word is, but. Intense. Um, but it was about Christianity in a really strange way. Oh, and, I was full gospel coalition. Yes, 100%. Which I was like I've never a Mark Driscoll of. fan. Yeah. Which, you know, whatever. But, like, (laughs) I remember having a conversation with you and you were just so pumped about all of the dudes. And I was like... Oh, yeah, the dudes. And you wanted (laughs) us to become a Gospel Coalition church. I did not think that you were allowed to pastor. Yeah, that's right. And I said to you, I said to you, because we were sitting around and, like, listeners, I'm the co-lead pastor of this church. And and Adam's like, like, we should join, we should join the Gospel (laughs) Coalition. And I'm like, yeah, what am I going to do? What are they going to do with me? And you looked at me like... Oh, Tell well. you what we're gonna do. Yeah. <laughs> As Adam shoves her into a closet. Yes, <laughs> exactly right. I'm like, oh man, young Padawan. But the problem is, we he's... need somebody to oversee the children's ministry, woman. Yes, and <laughs> and, and and that's true. But the, but the problem was, you were wonderful. Like I, you know, and you didn't believe in anything that was Holy Spirit related either. You were no. like, this is all mumbo jumbo. Hey, like basically everything Father, Son, I was. Father, Son, Holy Scripture, lady. Yeah. Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. <laughs> right. like, I don't know what you're working with here. <laughs> everything I was, you hated. And yeah. so it was great. But somehow, like then Your the second besties. time, I, yeah, besties. I met you and I loved you. And then I'm like, oh, man, I love this kid. Oh, I love him. I love him. Okay, we're going to have to figure it out. He's just trying so damn hard. He is. <laughs> well, he is. I think this leads to a really good question, and this is something because obviously I came along years later. Um, I think it was probably about five years ago on Easter Sunday. I walked in, and Simon was rocking a kilt, and I said, <laughs> this is my place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is my place. 
So uh, it, one of the things I always thought was really interesting is the fact that the um, uh, group of pastors that you had on staff, after getting to know them, all were all over the spectrum theologically. And I always thought that was fascinating because I don't think you see that anywhere else. Yeah. It's very true. And, and, and I remember— It's somewhat true at life. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Not one person— Very diverse. Uh, is, comes from the same theological background still on our staff today. Yeah. Not one. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Obviously, there was some intention behind that. Yeah. Well, we, from the very beginning, we just, look, the gift that the charismatic movement has given to the greater body of Christ is um, we acknowledge gifting. Gifting matters more than anything else. And so if, and, and what we would call the anointing, right? And so if we see someone that is gifted to do it, and what we would what we would say anointed to do it, then it doesn't really matter, you know? It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter their part. It's like, oh, So it's like a built-in openness. Yeah, so you're like, there's something on that person. Who and might argue. Yes, and that is like, and so everything is the fruit will speak for itself, you know? And that's what you're taught growing up, not- You just rubbed that off on me too. Yeah. Eventually, yeah. you just rubbed it off on me, and I'm like, fine, you're right. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's, <laughs> the fruit speaks, uh. and so there was- something on Adam that I knew, like, God has his hand on this young man's life and I want to be a part of seeing what that is. Mm. And on and on and on again. And just identifying that in different men and women that came into contact with saying, there's something on them. There's, there's a purity of heart that's seeking God and it doesn't matter which direction they're, they started from. Are they... Are they headed towards Jesus? Are they taking the next step towards Jesus? And that's all I care about. Mm. So how can I partner with them? How can I be a part of that? And so, yeah, we ended up with a super diverse stuff. And that became the sort of ethos underneath all the other ethos. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's our our church's mission statement is we're a life in your church is a family that celebrates all movement towards Jesus. That's what we do. Yeah. One of the things that <clears throat> that makes me think of is w- one of the first things I remember that really stuck in my in my mind that Simon said one Sunday was, um, and I'm going to butcher this, but you'll you'll probably remember what I'm talking about. But he he said we're not a church of of red and blue, meaning you know like political affiliations, but we're a church of purple. That's right. And we invite all people from all perspectives in here because life is messy. Let's just walk through it together, kind of thing. And and so like not only was your staff diverse, but it, it reflected the people sitting in the pews. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and and you, that doesn't happen by accident. <clears throat> yeah, talk about that. You know, you have to cultivate a space that, you know, and, and honestly, if you peel away the artifice, people are people. They're human beings and our felt needs are very similar. Yep. You know, we all want to believe that we, that our life has meaning, mm-hmm. you know. We all deal with shame. Mm-hmm. We all have a fear that we're not living up to our potential or who we were supposed to be. We mm. always have this gap and this lack inside of us. I believe that every single human has a desire for God. Uh, somewhere in their life, there's this feeling of, you know, you look at every culture in the world from day dot, it's not like they had the internet. Everyone 
is trying to answer the same questions. Yep. Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Mm -hmm. What is life all about? How do I survive this messy middle that I don't really know and I can't put words to? Mm -hmm. Who is my neighbor? Yep. When you boil it down, that's the felt needs of every human being. It's just that we look for vehicles that are a cheap substitute um, for the real wrestle of God that kind of tell us who we are. Mm. And that's all politics is. It's just a cheap little, it's like a fortune cookie, you know. It's like one of those stupid tests that you take in, you know, Cosmopolitan magazine, 10 (laughs) questions, and it tells you what kind of lover you are. No, it's just ridiculous. I love that, I love that test. Yeah. <laughs> um, blue collar. But that's it. And it's like you take the 10 questions and you're like, oh, that means I'm a Republican. Yeah. Oh, that means I'm a Democrat. Uh, and that means I'm a Libertarian. Or that means I'm conservative. Or that means I'm liberal. And they're these really ugly, cheap labels. Um that do not show nuance, that do not show the facet of humanity. They do not show the inner workings of a person's heart. And they definitely don't tell your story. But we hide behind them. Yeah, totally agree. You know? And so my entire job is to peel that artifice away. Yeah. Yeah, most people end up wanting a church that just tells them exactly what to think and say and do and look like and get mad at and distance themselves from and everything else like that, so you don't have to do the hard work of actually digging into yourself and, and dealing with your junk. And yeah, yeah it's way easier. And yeah. it makes you feel really righteous, oh. which is like a really great drug. Well, yeah. well we all want to belong, you know, and it's a, it's a cheap artificial belonging. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, in my opinion, that's not, that's not real life. You know, it's not, it, you're not doing the deep work inside your own spirit and soul, you're not growing. You're mm. just, you know, you're just putting on a different set of clothes. Yeah, it's just a new tribe. It is. New tribe. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that's yeah. how we work really hard. We try and humanize every single person in the space. They're a human being first. They're loved first. The love always comes first. And, and you know, my attitude is I can disagree with someone on 99% of things. But my heart is always like, what's the 1% that I can find? What's the 1% that we can find common ground on? What's the 1% that's even good and redeeming? Mm. Can we blow that thing up? Yeah. Can we make that something absolutely beautiful to build on? Because because you can if you take the time. Yeah, that's so good. Man, yeah, that's so good. You You've done a really good job of a lot of people in your congregation, and there's been a lot of transition, you know, obviously even more so with um, Simon's death about a year ago. Yeah. But you guys have always done a really good job of, um, you attract a lot of people that are in like a liminal space, a transitionary space. Talk about that. Like, what's that like? I'm not asking you how you do it. Yeah. That's not the question. But like, what's going on there? And, And what do you, how have you noticed that? And what do you do about it? Yeah, it, you know, I always laugh because there's the church, you know, that you think you want it to be and then right. the church you get. Right. 
And that's, you don't get to choose. It's a big fat lie. That you mean you go when you're to, a pastor? Yeah. You try to set up a church in a certain Yeah, yeah. Way. You go to a seminar and they tell you, <laughs> right. you know, it's yeah. so hilarious. So you catch the millennials. Yes, you know. Ugh. Oh, vomit. <laughs> Adam you knows know? exactly where my brain just oh, went. I know. And, and, you know, you, yeah, you, you pay lots of money and you hear someone stand up there in skinny jeans and tell you how to do it. And, <laughs> and, then, and then you realize, no, that's not how it works. Um, I believe that pastoring is actually the most passive thing that you can do. Oh, talk more about that. Um, we don't get to choose who we pastor. They choose us. You know, they hand their pastor card in. I believe that every single person is born with a, with a little card in their back pocket that I call the pastor card, and they get to hand that pastor card in. You don't get to take that from them, you know. And there's a lot of people that, and they've been so wounded by pastors that have tried to take that pasta card from mm. them without their permission um, or just, just, just guilted them into it or mm-hmm. forced them into it. But I believe that it should be a gift of free will. And so there are people in my church and they've been in my church for three or four years, but maybe they only handed their pasta card in six months ago. Yeah. I mm. only became their pastor six months ago because sure. I can't force it. And it has to be something that they choose. So it's very passive, I believe. Yeah. Um, my job is not to go out and... And, you know, act like Jesus and recruit all the people and join my team. You're not building a brand. No. I I have to be true to what God has called me to do. And I have to cultivate the space and the place in which he has called me to cultivate. And then the people that desire that and want that will hand their pasta card in. And I will willingly receive it. But when they need to go, I'll give it back. You know, it's not mine to keep. Wow. One of the things I would love for you to talk about, because uh, it kind of ties in with this, what we were talking about with um, how you and Simon intentionally, uh, how intentional you were about how you uh, created this environment. One of the things that that was an intentional uh, move on your part was your, your church plant didn't start where it is now. That's right. It was in a very, uh, say, white. Uh, very clean. Suburban. Very new. Yes. Nice. Very nice. So nice. Hip. I'd say, I'd say it was pretty hip. Nilly hip. Yeah. It had a, it had a very cool coffee shop down, yeah. down below mm-hmm. it. And you, mm-hmm. you gave all that up. We did. Because, <laughs> you know, it's, again, you don't get to choose, really, you know. And so here we were cultivating a space, and we realized we were cultivating a space in an affluent area um, that just attracted, sounds terrible, but really normal people. And I, I don't know how to pass to normal people. Uh, and and I think because because I came from Australia, the only the good news of the gospel, if it's preached right, is attractive to the poor, to the marginalized, yeah. to the broken. Right? If it's preached right, heck yeah. And there wasn't a lot of those people that were walking through the doors of our church. No, um, it was very safe. It was very nice, and. And, and it got to the point where, you know, my husband Simon was like, I don't even know if I want to pastor this church because I don't resonate with a whole bunch of the people there. Would it be fair to say that a lot of the people, because I remember experiencing that frustration with you guys yeah. when I was a brand new pastor 
And a lot of it was, I felt like everybody, not everybody, but it felt like a lot of people and the loudest people for sure yeah. were the people that would come with an agenda <laughs> because they didn't get what they wanted at the last church. Yeah. And they want to be somebody that's getting in on the ground level and yes. turning the church into exactly what they want it to be. Yes. Absolutely. And we had a lot of tension from a lot of different directions about that. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, 100%. You know, and, and again, that's why new, new churches, are, it's really, really hard because, yeah, you have to attract people. You have to have a certain size to actually make it work. But a lot of the people come with agendas and they come with their own ideas. And we realized the people that were coming with agendas, they wanted our church to be what they wanted a church to be, but without the risk of them actually starting it themselves. Right. And so you can end up under a total amount of burden and stress and worry. And we really felt that. And, and we just thought, you know what, this is, this is not for us. Like, we want to pastor a church that not only sees the entire city, but reaches, like, people from all demographics and all walks of life. And we're not going to do it here in this really nice, clean convention center. It's just not going to work. So we need to go where the people are. And so we, we thought if we just set up somewhere else, like if we, we buy a building in it, and the, the building, like our church borders one of the most affluent neighborhoods in yeah. Columbus and the grittiest neighborhood in Columbus. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And we're on that border. And so we thought, well, you know what? We don't get to choose the people that we pass, but we do get to choose the location that we pastor in, Absolutely. Right? So we're going to go do that. And so we kind of blew up the church at the five-year mark and started again, really. It's like Church Plant 2.0. It was Church Plant 2.0. Who does that, Mel? Weirdos. (laughs) Dumb people. That would be me. But, you know, but honestly, I've seen too much and I've done too much to pastor a church based out of comfort and security. And really the only thing that you've got left at the end of the day is your integrity. And I needed to go to sleep and put my head on a pillow every night and go, I am being integrous to what I believe God is calling me to do and come what may. Yeah. And that's what, that's what we had to do. That's, and that's where I met you guys. Yes. I, I, I never knew the original location. So yeah. Um, Praise you, Jesus. You got there. You got there just in time for the edgy version of life. That <laughs> yeah. <was. laughs> A little more dangerous. <laughs> dangerous. But most people that come to our church, and to answer your question that you asked at the start, they're the first and the lasts. They're the people that come to our church. What do you mean by that? Um, they're either the people that are experiencing Christianity for the first time, brand mm. new baby Christians, or searching. Very, very much a lot of searches that come through the doors of our church. Or we have lasts, which are people that say, I'm burnt, I'm burned by the church. I've had a really hard time. I feel jaded. I don't know what's up or down. And... I'm going to give one more church a go before I completely peace out on Christianity forever. So you're like the catcher in the rye. We are the catcher in the rye um, without the serial killer connotation. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. That's my mouth. <laughs> you're, the, you're the Holden Caulfield of, yeah. of yeah. churches. You know, so that's, that's who we reach. So that's a delicate balance, though, as a, a church staff when you're planning, you know, what do we want to talk about mm. over the next few weeks, knowing that you've got like people who are new uh, to the faith and people who are veterans, but are obviously very like jaded by, as you said. So how do you, how do you, how do you plan a series that kind of preaches to both? With great that care. That is a great question. It's a great question. With great care. You know, um, again, you look, the Bible never gets old. Like the words of Jesus never get old. And I believe that if you can strip the artifice back from the message of the gospel as much as possible, 
it is attractive to everyone, you know, and my whole goal is to lovingly bring people back into health with Jesus. So in that case, I just have to stand in the centre, you know, and I have to, I have to stand in the centre and try and remove the obstacles on all sides that will cause people. So that means I don't use Christian A's. Luckily, both of them, both of those groups hate Christian A's. Right. <laughs> That's easy. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. So we, we, you know, we're not, we're not Christian A'sing it up there. Um, both of those groups want to be talked to like they want the raw and unvarnished truth, right? Authenticity. They yeah. want authenticity. They smell it a mile away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, don't give me a Hallmark card. Sorry. Yeah. They don't yeah. want that. No. They don't, they don't know it. They don't need it. They don't like it. So they want to, and, and both, of that, both of those groups want to know, you bleed red just like me. Mm-hmm. You have struggles and worries just like me. Both of those groups don't need a, sta- a snake on a stick right, which is what a lot of safe churches need. They need their pastor to be a, a snake on a stick. Yeah. And I can't be that, you know. And what you mean by that is somebody that they can look to to feel saved. Yes. Like uh, we call it belief by proxy Yeah. on here. Like that's, please just do it for me. Yeah, I'm just going to attach nicer myself to you. Yeah. yeah. And you are amazing. Yes. And as long as you're amazing, yeah. then I feel okay. Well, it's like as – as long as you have a perfect life, then the gospel works for someone. Right, right. Right? Don't get your don't get anybody <laughs> pregnant. Yes. <laughs> yes. The gospel has to work for someone, you know? And then you so, are forsaken. Yeah. This whole thing is falling apart. That's right. Yeah. And so I feel like the number one curse of most pastors, uh, the world over, but especially the ones that are pastoring your normal churches, they're lonely. Because they don't actually get to, they don't actually get to be real. They they're don't. Not, yeah, they're not real. They can't because you know they have been put in a golden cage, and yeah. they have to sing the way that people say that they need to sing. They have to perform. They have to be removed. Mm, and and I couldn't do that. No so way, from no. the very first moment, you know, we had a lady that came to our church very early on, and she was angry at one of my sermons because I said the word suck, like suck, whatever. Who cares? Like. <laughs> A lot worse things you can What's bad said about now? that word? I <laughs> yeah, don't it's know. It's a great word. It's a yeah. great word. And, and I was just talking about my sister. I'm like, her life sucked. Like, whatever. <laughs> and so this woman comes down the front and she was shaking. And so luckily I was praying for someone and my poor husband got all of it, Simon. But she said, you know, I, ne- I am coming to discipline your wife. <laughs> she literally said oh, that. no. Here it comes. Spank me, whatever. It's <laughs> terrible. Like, I just think, who even says that anymore? But whatever. They did. Oh, no. So, and someone's like, why? Why are you going to discipline my wife? And she goes, well, she used a sexually charged word. Oh, my God. And he's like, and, she, and he goes, what? And he goes, she said, well, suck, me, suck means oral sex. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it can. Well, <laughs> sure, but also, it's, kind of like, it's all about context. Drinking out of a straw. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, really, we're like going a, there. How about like Vortex? a vacuum? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a black hole? Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. No, we're just talking about oral sex in church. And so, oh, no. Felicio. Yeah, I did not say Felicio. <laughs> I really didn't. Like, if I said my sister in law's life was Felicio, then maybe I understand, right? Then they'd be like, I don't understand why this is bad. <laughs> well, it sounds so, like she's living the best life ever. I know. Well, maybe. <laughs> oh, I'm with men. Okay. Oh. Um, here we go. Moving sorry. on. Sorry. Thanks, John. Sorry. Um, 
Jesus, take the wheel. Okay. Um, so anyway, he's like, no, I'm sorry. And she said this thing. She goes, well, she uses street language. Mm. And it's fine for out on the street, but we're in a, you know, we're in a church. You shouldn't be using street language in a church. Mm-hmm. And, and my husband said, well, no, there will never be a distinction in this church. We will speak the same way from the pulpit on Sunday. They, then we will speak in our kitchen on Monday. And that is just the way it's going to be. Absolutely. And so, you know, from that, that those things are, in, are common to all. I think authenticity, being honest, being okay with not knowing everything, um, having a lot of grace and compassion, uh, loving people for who they are and not what function they perform, um, very important. Um, understanding that love always comes first, even a lot of times before belief, um, that everyone needs a family, like, that we can talk about hard things and we can do hard things together. Mm. Uh, all of those things are very common to people that are just discovering faith for the first time and people that are jaded and disillusioned and feeling like they need to leave the faith that they have been given because of the brokenness of the people around them. So that's kind of how we roll. One of the things that I thought was amazing, and the more I look back on it, I think it's even more amazing, is when John and I started this podcast, I was still a full, I was pastoring at the church with you guys, and um, just, there was just a lot going on culturally, and there still is, and we wanted to talk about this space, and I knew that that would potentially create blowback. Yeah. Potentially. Definitely. And, and it could also cause just disruption just oh. uh, in lots of different ways. Yeah. But not only did you guys allow it, it never really made you nervous no. in any way. And you're still allowing those spaces to exist in your church. And you, you just never look nervous about it. You never look it, – it, does, it, does, it almost doesn't even bother you. Yeah, it's, the, it's funny because I – I believe, and and honestly, I guess people, if you're listening to this, and I guess if you're listening to this, you're you're in a state of deconstruction right now, and it's scary, and I get it, you know. And a lot of you, you didn't come into this naturally. You came into it via hurt. Mm. You came into it um, via abuse. You came into it because men and women of God did not do what they should have done. Yeah. They did not hold up their end of the bargain. They operated out of fear. They operated out of blindness. They operated out of brokenness. They operated out of insecurity. And because of those things, and a lot of times because, as we were talking about before, they didn't have the ability to share those thoughts and fears. They didn't know how to be real and human with other people. Yeah. So they, they built defences and they, they battened down the hatches and they locked in. Yeah. And because of that, Abuse happens. Abuse thrives in those situations. Mm. Um, it's, it just becomes a really dangerous place uh, to grow blind faith. And all of those things come in that type of environment. And so a lot of you are probably sitting here and you're, you're thinking, well, I, I don't know how to even trust or believe that anyone, um, that any type of church could be safe for me ever again. Um, but, but it can it absolutely can because of what Adam just said. Like, 
did I, you know, deconstruction is a normal part of everyday life. Like I had gone through my own deconstruction when I moved from Australia to America mm. because the Christian cultures were completely different. Sure. And you know what? It was scary for a couple of years. It was hard on me. Um, I didn't leave church, which honestly I'm super thankful for. I sure. stuck in even though I didn't know why and I was trying to walk it out. I stuck through it. Mm. But in the end... If you choose to look at Jesus clearly, he's so beautiful. Mm. And there is nothing else in the world that is as beautiful as Jesus. And so I am okay with people going on this journey Mm. because I believe if you keep your heart turned towards Christ, if you don't turn your heart away and allow the brokenness of humanity to rob you of the beauty of Jesus, Mm. then you will always find your way home. Mm. It always because he's that beautiful, mm. he's that powerful, and you're not. Love it. Love it. I just loved that you guys just never seemed <clears throat> worried about it. There was a, that to me, then and now, is an evidence of if I have to see, if I have to observe faith in people, I think that's what it looks like. I think so much of the white knuckling or the, the needing things to look a certain way um, doesn't resemble, you know, the father in the story of the prodigal. No way. At all. No way. It doesn't, it doesn't resemble. It just seems like control. It yeah. just looks like control. Faith's not about control. It's, isn't faith like the opposite yeah. of like needing to control? And yet it's so rare to see that. And so I just love that about the way you guys create a space to love people. Thank you. Love and, it. And you know what? Like in the prodigal son story, narrative, which I, I just love it so much. Do you know that if we do the Christian walk right, we play all roles? We're oh, never absolutely. just one, yeah. Yeah. you know? And so understanding that I had a season where I asked those hard questions. I had a season in my life where I, I faced the absolute flaws and brokenness of the spiritual tradition that I grew up in, sure. and I had to look at them, and it was ugly and hard. Um, and I did go into major deconstruction in that period in my life. The problem was, and honestly, after three years of doing that, I was suicidal. I will own that. It was Ugh. dark and yeah. scary, and uh, and I was lost. I was completely lost. And so, you know, I I would unpack that a lot more in another time and place. Yeah. But I, I ended up having to say, you know what, I have to let go of the the brokenness and the shortcomings and the failings of so many of the people around my life that that kind of created this environment for me that I had to deconstruct in inside of Christianity. Um, I have to let that go. It doesn't mean that they get a pass, but it's just that I need Jesus so badly that why am I letting the brokenness of other people rob me of the absolute peace and joy that comes from knowing that Jesus loves me that he, he is just so incredible. Mm. And so I had to let that go because, honestly, I don't think I would be here. I know I would not be here right now if I did not return to the Father um, after my wanderings. You know, right. I needed to return. And I think most of us and listeners, you will. You'll come home. Totally. Agree. It'll look different. It, it will look different. You come back with different experiences and different viewpoints. Hero's journey. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know Yep. But you will come home. And and so for me, like I've been the prodigal son and I've been 
the older brother. And now in this new season of my life, understanding that my job is actually now to be the mother, that's my role now, Mm. is so interesting. And it changes everything about the way that I see, you know, people that are deconstructing. I don't have to go with them. I don't have to go on that journey with them. Right. I know what I know that journey. Sure. I've walked that road. Sure. I don't need to be the bitter older brother feeling sorry for myself that they're out there having all the fun, you know, and I'm yeah. back here slaving in the fields and doing all the right things and holding on for Jesus. Right. No, I'm the dad, you know, or the mum. I'm that person that keeps the home fires burning. Yep. I'm that per- yes. So that they have a place to come home to. That's my job now. You know? So one of the things that that we get asked a lot, and I think it came up when we were in Denver even, is specifically like when you're going through a deconstruction in the context of a marriage, it's it's even trickier than than I think when you're single. Because when you're single, yeah. you're just kind of like, this is where I'm at. But in the context of a marriage, especially if you start in the same starting point, you're not necessarily at the same point at the same time. That's right. And And that's difficult. And it sounds like you know, when you were going through your deconstruction, I'm sure Simon was probably in a very different place. No, he was living the high life. Yeah. <laughs> like he, him and Jesus were best friends and I'm like melting down in the corner. Yeah. yeah. And, and plus, oh, and plus the two of you are, are heading up a church. So, I mean, mm. that, that adds a whole yes. other level of pressure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't easy. Yeah. And it, you know, and- but then it- it flipped a little. Then it did. It flipped. <laughs> talk, it did. About, talk about that. Yeah, because, you know, I come through my, you know, and it happened for me young. Like I was young. I was 19 when I entered my deconstruction. It really was spurred on by um, a church split that happened in my parents' church. You saw all the ugliness. I saw the ugly, you know, and and church had always been my safe harbour, you know. It, it was my place of refuge, always had been. I knew, okay, this is how I put it. When I walked through the doors of church, I knew who I was. Yeah, you, you, yeah. you knew what to do, where to be. How to, I knew who yeah. I was, yeah. you know. Yeah. And and I believe that it is the job of the collective community to tell you who you are. That's sure. what we do. We echo back and forward to each other. You know, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. And that's what church was for me. And all of these beautiful people that I grew up and loved and suddenly uh, left and in an ugly way and really said some terrible things about my parents. Mm-hmm. And I did not know how to process that. Right. So my deconstruction happened young. So I went through all of that pain, three years of agony, of soul, um, hit rock bottom and was like, okay, Jesus, you and me again, we're going to figure this out. Simon's didn't happen until we really actually hit America. Uh, and it wasn't actually until I, he just didn't know how to fit here. Like, he tried so hard, but he wasn't a theologian, and that is mega respected here in in the US of A. Like, Where did you go to school? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. that type of, um, mm, there's a crude word I would like to use, but I'm not going to. Um, but that type of posturing yeah. is really ugly, and Absolutely. it really made him feel low about himself. And it made him, de- his deconstruction was all internal. Sure. And it was all about his ability and qualification to lead a church. Right. He felt inadequate. Right. Um, if he would go to other pastors' events, he felt looked down upon. Mm-hmm. And, and he wasn't, but it was something in him that yep. he realized, I don't have the letters behind my name. I don't know all of the, you know, 
gosh, just name it. I, he did, I don't know all the theories of revelation, and I, I don't really know what. He felt like a fraud. He felt like a fraud. And imposter syndrome grabbed a hold of his heart, and it really started to mess with the purity of his faith with Jesus. Um, so it began an internal struggle in him that, that made him feel like I'm, like there's, there's the people that are really great at this pastoring business and then there's me and I'm not that. And that really was hard because as his wife, I knew how amazing he was. Yeah, how yeah. gifted. I, it, it was so funny. Like in the last few years, he was really struggling with, you know, with the whole thing. And we were in marriage counselling and our marriage counsellor was like, what are we going to do here? And I said to my husband, like, you know, I said, well, to the counsellor, I said, all I need him to do is meet with people and have coffee and preach on a Sunday. He doesn't need to do any of the other stuff because he hates it. Yeah. He doesn't have to do the board meetings. He doesn't have to run the staff. He doesn't. It, and I remember the counsellor looking at me and going, that's not enough. And I'm like, actually it is. And he didn't believe me. And it wasn't until after my husband died because our counsellor made it a mission that he would not know anything about us other than what was presented in the counselling room. So he never listened to one of my husband's sermons, never listened to one of my sermons, never looked us up on Facebook. Like he's like, no, I'm just dealing with what's in front. And so I still see that counsellor now as a single woman. So I go in there and one day he was just sitting there and he was weeping. And I was like, what's wrong? And he goes, well, now that he's gone, I, I downloaded your church's app and I started listening. And he goes, it would have been enough. Yeah. He yeah. was that good. No he question. was really good. And I said, <clears throat> yeah. And he goes, I, I'm so sad that I didn't know that part of him. Oh. You know, because he was. He, well, was, he lit up. He lit up. He lit up. Yeah. Yeah. He was an incredible communicator. And well, he and, grabbed the hearts of everybody there. Yeah. He, he knew, he was not a, he, he was not a theologian. Not at all. He was. Not in that kind of way. No. He, yeah. he was a stand-up comic yes. that yeah. <laughs> fell in love with Jesus and had the audacity to believe the simple message of the gospel. Nailed it. You know? Yep. But just bled authenticity yeah. on the stage. Like he couldn't be anything else. <laughs> no, he couldn't. No. And, and there were moments where, you know, <laughs> Simon would say something kind of uh, off color or whatever, which I thought was amazing. It just made me realize that this guy's human and it makes me even more interested in what he has to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because... Too often, I think you, you walk into a church and you hear someone give you a very cookie-cutter sermon. Yep. And it's very polished, and you're like, ah, you know, it, there's just a part of me, specific, you know, I'm only speaking for myself here, that I just have a hard time buying what they're, what they're saying. Yeah. But with Simon, it, it was like he put his own personality into it. He, oh, yeah. He, it, Simon was infused in all parts of That's right. his sermons. and Which is why yeah. he loved St. Patrick so much. I mean, that was his hero. St. Patrick was his hero because St. Patrick, right. you know, he, yeah, he got a big... <laughs> face. It was really hard <laughs> to see that face staring at me all the time in bed. That was a bed. really sweet tattoo. I know, but I, I used to say to him, I'm like, there's a third person in our bed. <laughs> <laughs> and it's freaking St. Patrick. <laughs> it's really ruining the vibe. <laughs> Can we avert your eyes, St. Patrick? Put a little blindfold on him. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's a wristband. Yeah, yeah just put a, wrist, put a wristband. I want a band-aid over his eyes at least. Yeah. I'm oh, like, man, you can't yeah. see this it was next a part. Massive tattoo. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, it was just for people can't see. It's yeah. a very visual podcast. I remember uh, how we always yeah. used to kind this of whole arm, right? give yeah. Simon yeah. feedback about how, like, dude, you can't use the stage as your counseling That's session. Right. But at the same time, then we'd be like, then he'd almost be like, why not? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'd yeah. be like, well, I don't know. Just feel like you shouldn't. But yeah. <laughs> it it was him. It was him. Yeah. Yeah. And he never promised to be anything but himself. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and the hardest thing was, I think that was honestly where his main struggle was, was he just realized, I'm not like everyone else. Ah. And when you're in a a culture that puts a lot of pressure on performance and numbers and uh, bums in seats and all the metrics that people kind of invent to gauge church health, um, that really was hard for him. Yeah, man. Yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't wired for that. No. So, so talk about like, because obviously this is a, this is going to be a two part series, but talk about what led Simon to decide to go on this spiritual journey because the, the Camino, uh, you know, we've, we, I think Shai has mentioned it in previous episodes, but probably most of our listeners probably have no idea what we're talking about. They probably think I'm talking about a car, you know, yeah. but <laughs> it's a Cam- no, really Camaro, car. Camino, no Camino. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's this, it's this revered, holy, uh, path that yeah. people can take through the mountains of Spain to the coast. And uh, Alexander Shai leads guided you know, journeys on this, but people of all faiths and traditions, uh, people of no faith uh, have traveled um, this path. So what, like, how did Simon even come across this? And then what, what led him to decide that this is something he wanted to do? You know what? It was Shia that he, I think, really introduced him to the Camino. Honestly, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. Because he had the book with him. He had the book with him. And like Simon was searching. He, yeah, there's so much. There was, there's so many layers to it, but he was, he was exhausted. It, pastoring's hard. It's not oh, easy. Brutal. And his certain, his personality and the way he's wired, he's a four mm. um, on the Enneagram scale. And so he felt everything deeply. He really, you know, he struggled. And so, the monotony of church, the mundane parts of church, just, he just couldn't handle it. It was starting to really wear on him. The, he was always offending someone accidentally. And, <laughs> you know, and so he would dread the emails. He kind of had PTSD of like opening up his email. And, and I'd sometimes just sit in the front row going, oh, like, okay. <laughs> you know, like, I know that, what that, I know what that's going to do. And, yeah. Um, so, he really burnt out. Like he he was exhausted. And, you know, the image that I got of Simon was, you know, we are a purple church. And especially the election, the last election was unequivocally the thing that exhausted him the most because he was trying to hold together a church. Right. And it was, it, I, I see this, it's like a man standing in the middle and he has got both hands on either side holding a rope trying to pull something in, you know, pull it. When everything in in secular society is saying go to the margins, push to the back, you know, like go and be extreme. Yeah, very extreme. Be super fundamentalist, be super liberal, be super, you know, democratic, be super Republican, be ridiculous. And the hatred hatred. and the vitriol that was like rolling around on social media and... Still is. And it affects real life communities and real life people. And I feel like he was just so exhausted from trying to hold that tension um, and keep reminding people, hey, like there's something bigger than this. This is your Christianity should not be uh, secondary to your political leanings. Like your Christianity should be a guiding light in the way that you vote. 
but we're not going to tell you how to do that because the Holy Spirit, we trust the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Like mm-hmm. that's His job, not ours, you know. We're just going to teach you how to go find the Holy Spirit and listen to the Holy hear. Spirit. Yeah. yeah, but they don't like that. <laughs> so I just think that exhaustion really wore him down and he just felt the pain of he felt the pain of people's struggle and their arguments and and at the same time felt the frustration of where am I taking this church? And and my husband was really like he was probably the way that he connected with with God was so uh organic and amazing and he so natural. He started to really freak out. And so he actually went on the Camino. He told me, um, he went on the Camino. He said, Mel, I'm, he always knew where he was going. He always knew what the next year held. Hmm. And he said to me, he goes, I can't see 2019. I'm like, oh, that's weird. You can always, you always know where we're going. He goes, I can't, I can't see it. And so, you know, when you don't have the information that we know now, I was like, well, I guess you're going to have to get yourself in a position to figure it out, to hear, to see where we're going. And and he's like, I just can't hear, I can't see. And him wanting to do the Camino was him pursuing God um, in a really amazing way where he was going to be disconnected from social media, disconnected from the church, disconnected from his family. He wanted to go and in the purest way hear from God because he wanted to know where to lead the church next. Um, The crazy thing is now, I really think that he didn't see 2019 because he wasn't in 2019, Mm. Um, which sounds really bizarre and kooky. And if I'm triggering you, I'm sorry. But I do believe that. I believe he couldn't see it. And that, that tension in him, he was like, I will do whatever it takes to hear God and to know where I'm going. And so the Camino was kind of his, his mission to hear from God. And he died on the actual road pursuing God in the most beautiful way. And I don't think that there's a, a better way to die than being in a physical pursuit of Jesus in the most beautiful way. I just think it's the, so it's hard because I miss him and I grieve his lack of presence in my life, but I will not take away the beauty of the way that he died. Yeah. Like I can't, I think it's gorgeous, mm. you know. And I think that if he, if he could have chosen it, he would have chosen that. I think he would have chosen to do so. Like, he's like, I want to die. I mean, what's the choice? He's going to be, like, watching Real Housewives and <laughs> yeah. on his couch eating the pizza. Bag of potato chips. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, his bag of potato chips, <laughs> yeah, yeah. to be honest. Um, you know, or just doing something really lame No. Yeah. Like, he, it, let it be said of him that he died while pursuing God. How beautiful is that? I'll never take that from him ever. You chase my heart like fires blaze And you stretch your hand just to catch the phrase Of this tattered life I love that. I love that because it is just sitting here talking about that like we're, like we're all going to die. Yeah, we are. Yeah, like we're going to. Yeah. Like it's going to happen. And there's nothing that can cut through all the bullshit, honestly, yeah. of, of, oh, my gosh, Trump. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> what my church did to me when I was younger. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, 
stop it. At, at some point, you got to just know that, like, go through a season, but then maybe you need to get on your bike and go to the proverbial Camino or maybe the real Camino, and you need to start living. That's right. Because you're going to die. Yes. Like, yes, you are. Yeah. Uh, what, a, what a beautiful transition, Adam. It's like you read my mind. <laughs> Because the, I mean, the next thing I was going to say was it, 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 in the aftermath, so November 10th obviously happens, yeah. and, and I get a call from Adam and find out what, what happened. And, and so shortly after that, we had this prayer service at the church. And uh, in this very bizarre way that only Simon could have had an impact on, like there was healing, there was there were people who hadn't seen each other or spoken to each other in, 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 in a great deal of time and just all these people who love Simon, who are impacted people who had known him for years, people had known him for months, just congregated together. I mean, we couldn't even fit everybody in there. Like we ran out of parking spots. Like, you know, it was just this thing of beauty in in this moment of intense sadness, you know? Um, so it, it's just, it was this remarkable evening that, you know, I'll, I'll never forget. The church became everything that he dreamt and believed yes. that it could be. That night. Yeah. Yeah, man. It became what yeah. it was. He always knew it could be. It was and born. And what it was capable of. It was born. Yeah. 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 I get that. I get that. It, it makes it even better. Because, it does. you know. There's meaning there. Purpose. I, I never understood when the psalmist said, um, blessed in the sight of you, O God, is the death of one of your saints. Um, precious. Is the death? I used to think, how can death be precious? But uh, as I sat at his memorial service a few weeks later, and I saw everyone there, and just the genuine love and compassion and tenderness and honoring and sacrifice of all the people that were sitting there, even as the widow um, looking around, I, I said, "This is precious. I understand this verse now." And Simon would have never called himself a saint at all, but uh, but I think he fit the qualifications. He he served Jesus faithfully. He pointed people to God in his brokenness and in his vulnerability. Mm. And he went so out. Real. He just he went out in a holy pursuit. And so I looked around and I'm like, yeah, this is great. Like, and and you know what? I used to think about the early church and how it spread in such persecution. Like, I was like, what's their secret sauce? You know, I, I guess everyone's trying to figure that out. Persecution? Like, yeah, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like, I thought <laughs> the church is probably, the early church was probably having funerals like this weekly. Oh, yeah. Yep. Weekly. And I'm telling you, if I went to a funeral, like the funeral at my husband's funeral weekly, there's nothing I would not do for Jesus because yeah. it was the most faith-filling Amazing experience of my life. It was so dense. Yes. It was so solid. It was so real. If somebody was to come to me and say, hey, you can either keep that experience of church that day or all the other times you've ever been in church, it'd be an easy choice Mm. because that has a way of distilling Mm -hmm. everything we're trying to get to in sort of a superficial a lot of times lazy, a lot of times clumsy, a lot of times ego-driven way, and then a, something like that happens, and it just distills everything into its essence, and you experience it together, yeah. and it becomes blessed, and it becomes 
the verse that says it's better the, to go into the house of mourning yeah. than into the house you're of rejoicing. Right. You're and right. It, and you're like, damn straight. Yeah. You Give know it what? To me. It is. Yeah. It actually is. Well, it goes back like to what you apples. I love it. <laughs> it goes back to what you were saying a few minutes ago, where where in that moment, it's so powerful, it's so much bigger than you that all the stuff, all the crap that you thought was so important, mm. just disintegrates right in front of yeah. you in an instant, and you're yep. like, none of this matters. Doesn't matter. Yeah. You know. And we need that. We yeah. need that. We need more of that. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, that is something that we need because, man, we love our. We love ourselves some legalism, you uh, know? In all shapes and sizes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, and 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 I even, you know, I I am finding, and this has been the hardest thing for me, because, you know, I, I've always lent, you know, I'm I'm very centrist, always, but you know, I've always lent to the the liberal heart, you know? Like I just love the liberal heart. And because it was always one that had a posture of, we don't know, yes, we're open, sure, yes, sure, come on in. Sure. But now I, it, it's really hard to find. Yeah. Because it's become... There's a new certainty. Yes. The new certainty freaks the, the living hell out of me. Yeah. It's become, um, it's become pharisaical. Oh, my gosh. And um, a lot of condemnation. And who's throwing the stones is always my question. Who's throwing the stones? There's a lot of stone throwing happening, and it's coming from the people that I felt naturally inclined towards. Yeah the more liberal view of the world, they're the ones throwing the stones. And um, and I'm really sad about that right yeah, now. Yeah, man. Because honestly, I think it goes to our human heart. We don't know how to live. In Timothy, it says, like, to be a deacon, whatever that weird word means, um, it says that we need to hold the mystery of a faith with a clear conscience, to hold the mystery of the faith, right, with a clear conscience. And what I believe that means is, yeah, we're not going to know everything, we're not going to know half of it, but a clear conscience means I'm doing the very best that I can to honor and affirm and respect and have a humble heart that says, I don't know everything. That's so good, Mel. Right? Yep. And that's a sign of spiritual maturity. Like that was a qualification to lead a church. That's really important, but we don't want to hold the mystery. We want certainty. Did you hear a great example of this in pop culture of recent is uh, when Ellen was caught at yeah. the uh, oh with, at, with yeah with w. George W. Bush George w. and she had to like rebuke so many of her fans, which is absurd. Which is absolutely absurd, but, but. it is so it's such a revelation yeah. of what is going on here that you can't be my person unless you hate the people I want you to hate, right? Because I have I I my identity is so fragile. And so sensitive and so swollen at this point that if you express kindness to somebody that you don't apparently align with, right? I can't even stand that, right? What has happened? Yeah, I mean, vi- <laughs> videos videos of W sneaking candy to Michelle Obama my, warms one of my, my heart. Yeah, warms my, my heart. Yeah. Because it. It, it tells me that there's a chance. Yeah, of course you know? it does. Yeah. Because all, and, and like I look at, but I look at that and I'm like, they would all be welcome in my church. Like, Absolutely. And, Absolutely. But the vitriol and the anger, uh. I just feel like, and this is, and you know who the worst people are? Are the people that have come out of right-wing fundamentalism. Yep. And they went into deconstruction. They've come out on the liberal side and now they're, oh, they've man. brought all their old tricks. Yep. Fundamentalism of a new flavor. It is. Yeah, it they've is. Brought all their, they've, they've got a new bag of yep. tricks, and they're like, I know. They've just, they've just changed the script. 
Right. You know? Absolutely. They've just they've just got a new Bible. They've got a new Bible and it's called the the progressive utopian worldview, you know? Yep. And um, <laughs> that's it's so true. That's their yeah. new Bible, and they're quoting like chapter and verse from that sucker. Good luck with that because you haven't yet dealt with your ego. Oh my god. And I gosh. think the best part, if deconstruction does what it's supposed to that's do, right. in my opinion, yes. you think that you're deconstructing things, and then you realize that you're the one that is actually being mm-hmm. taken apart. You're mm-hmm. the one that's being challenged. Yeah. You're, it's your ego yes. that's, that's being tried in a court. And when, when you finally get the death sentence of your ego and you realize, I'm just doing it over and over and over sure. again. My ego hasn't changed. I'm just looking for new ways to express my ego. And until that changes... Good luck. Yep. Adam's preaching now. He's got his preaching panties on. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. He's doing it. <laughs> They're my special preaching Adam's. panties. <laughs> Adam's got a lot of pent up, you know. Like I love it. Preaching that's just mm-hmm. under the surface. It's just waiting to burst out. Well, and, and if you're listening to this and you're wondering, is he talking about me? Here's a great test. Do you need to hate people? Ooh. Do you need to hate people? Do you need to get on Twitter? Do you need to get on Facebook? Do you need to have people that you define yourself against or you don't know who you are? And if that's true, then deconstruction hasn't touched your ego yet. It hasn't. That's real. And you're just, you're just doing the same thing over again. Yeah. Whether it's your parents or your parents' friends or the party that you grew up in or the church you grew up in or the friends you used to have or the friends you wish you had or whatever, good luck with that. I, the way I see it is like a medieval fortress, you know, the way they used to build them. And they would display their, their colors, right, to say, like, this is who I'm, I'm, you know, I'm aligned with, and they'd throw their banners out, you know, whole Game of Thrones, whatever. <laughs> and, um, and there's always, like, that, that liminal space that's outside of it, right, that's the common area between, you know, and, and that's where the battles happen and, and that's where you ride your horses around on, you know, you do your thing. Um, and I believe that true deconstruction should you should be de-armoring. You should be yeah. leaving that that fortress yep. that you have built and and coming out into the open field, the open plain, where you can lay down your armor and you can have a conversation with other people from other fortresses, and you can start to say, "Hey, me too," you know. Hey, you too. Okay, here we are. There's. But what most people have done is is they have left the church, which is really sad. Um, they have burned their banners, their allegiances, um, but then they've just put out new banners and they've stayed inside their fortress. Mm-hmm. They have not come out into the... They ran to a new fortress. They ran to a new... <laughs> yeah. yeah, and maybe maybe they... And I did too. Maybe they stood out there really... We all have. Really, like, you know, maybe they felt exposed for two months and then they're like, bah! Yeah. I need yeah. to find other people that agree with me. Right. I need to find other people that believe what I believe. I don't want to feel this feeling. Yeah, that's just, you're not going to be happy. You're not no. going to find joy. You're not going to find peace. So I will armor up again, you know, and, and that's what breaks my heart. And I am trying to pastor a church that's in the freaking plane. Yeah. That's where I want to be, yep. you know. That's where I want to hang out. Let's have a chat. I love that. So before we, before we uh, end this beautiful podcast... <laughs> uh, I thought it'd be fun to share some of your favorite stories about Simon. Oh gosh, oh, this is terrible. You can embarrass him now because he can't say anything about uh, it. So there's just so many. Like he's just 
one big walking hilarious joke, you know, <laughs> and that's just the truth. Funniest stories. Oh, man. <clears throat> okay, well, um, I guess the way that we're trying to honour Simon, he just said ridiculous things from the pulpit all the time, um, you know, and as he was standing on the stage, he'd just say, you know, and that was always for me like Simon at his best slashed worst was when he was holding a microphone um, talking about Jesus. Unplanned. Unplanned. He would, and, and I'd just be like, oh, no, and I'd watch the internal battle in him. Like he'd, be, he'd have his notes. And then he'd just get this mischievous. He would get that look, man. He would get that look. And it was that frisky. And he would say that. He goes, I'm feeling frisky. And I'd be like, oh, crap. You know? I'd be like, no, 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 no. Hold the line. Like, we got to get through this. Like, please don't do something dumb. And so, you know, like. Send the band up there. Yes. Now, go. Now, now, run. David, where's David? (laughs) And that's, you know, but he, what I loved about it, he just would say really ridiculous. And he was just really funny. But. You know, some of his classic lines, like he did say from the pulpit that the Holy Spirit called him a douchebag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep, he did. He said that. He said that. <laughs> and then the funny thing is a, an old lady was very upset and apparently Simon didn't know what a douchebag was. Like he didn't oh, actually no. know what that oh, was. No. In Australia, that was not. No one's douching, okay, in the yeah. land down under. Yeah. We're not circumcising we people and we're not douching, okay? Yep. Like, just, they didn't even know what it was. We want to be all natural. He just thought it meant you're, you're being a jerk. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so you know. That's all we knew. Like, you know, we don't we don't mess with our stuff down there. We just... <laughs> Live in the outback. Yeah. You know? we, we, we don't flow that way. So anyway, he found out and he was mortified. He was so embarrassed. Oh, He's like, so great. what the heck? And so then he decided to issue a apology the next Sunday. Oh, no. But in his apology, he said... <laughs> Said douchebag three more times. <laughs> so um, apparently, I said douchebag, <laughs> and I'm not supposed to say douchebag. And I actually didn't know what a douchebag was. Sorry that I said douchebag. And then I found out what a douchebag was. And ladies, I'm sorry. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that the Holy Spirit actually does not want to be uh, to clean out my the vagina. Like uh, oh, I really. Yep. Uh, Here we go. <laughs> just, <laughs> Just dig it a hole. Just dig it a hole. Let's go. Let's and go. I'm just like, please stop saying douchebag. Just stop saying it. But, you know, he would do those things. Uh, one of his most famous sermons was, you know, Jesus had a penis. And yes. he yep. went into great um, Talking detail. about the hypostatic union, yeah. the divinity and the humanity. <laughs> yep, yep. I love that you know that word. It's so wonderful. But... um. <laughs> Of course, of course, I know that of word, Mel. You know that, word. that was my identity for my young adult oh life. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm going to sing this. Yeah, anyway, that's great. I yeah. So he he went into like Jesus had a penis and 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 what Jesus did with that penis and you know how he how he urinated and you know I, I, did Jesus have an erection? Probably. Yeah. I mean, he went through the whole thing and oh, it was gosh. just like and I was like, please stop. Please like, make it make it stop. Make, make it stop. Make it. We get your point, dude. We, we like yeah. And, it, and and it was really that difficult. That is his most famous one. Jesus had a penis. Yeah, I I really we, think that. You need one. to check the downloads on that sermon. You, you know? know, it's 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 buried somewhere. Uh, it's lost. out there. Like I remember when um the when Barack Obama like was running for for president, and then they found his pastor's like sermons, and they kind of cut and pasted this, you know, <laughs> yes. whole montage of sadness. Yeah. And everyone's like, "How could anyone go to a church with a pastor that says all these things?" And I'm thinking, <laughs> uh, <laughs> "Well, please, no one run for office in this church." Like, if, you, if someone goes to the archive of Simon John Rodney Forsyth, we're in big trouble. He did like to prove a point, jump, like throw the Bible down and jump on top of it in front yep. of everyone. Yep. To prove that it was just pay, it was just I remember a that disaster. One. Yep. Yep. Oh my gosh! You know, so really, a lot of those things, um, 
resonate with me. They're, they're some of my most There was something that he said uh, on a quasi-regular basis that has become a household phrase in the Narlock home. And it is, if you're ever just exasperated or frustrated, you just go, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> that is in our lexicon of uh, yes. life in your church isms. Jesus, you. take the wheel. Thank you, both Carrie Underwood <laughs> and Simon Forsyth, Simon yes. for making that mm-hmm. a pop culture phenomenon in the Columbus area. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, he probably said it every Sunday. Every oh, Jesus, take the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> but in that sweet Irish accent, oh, yeah. which nobody can impersonate. No, no, it's it's on. Uh. Yeah, and you know, I I think. What I loved the most about him was just the way that he loved people. I mean, he just so freaking much. loved people. So much. Yeah. So I, you know, I my favorite memories of him was, you know what, he did this. He was a youth pastor for many years. And everyone knows that being a youth pastor is just so non-glamorous, you know. Worst job in the church. You know, that's the way, you know, kids are just, they're wild and they're being ridiculous and they say terrible things to you and they're just obnoxious. And the parents want you to parent them. Yeah, and they don't tithe, you know, so right. like no one really cares, <laughs> you know, and let's be honest, like it's like people Lots are like. problems, no money. Yeah, like, how can I grow up out of this, you <laughs> yeah. know, like yeah. get me the heck out of, out of this. And so, but he was a youth pastor for 16 years and Right before he left on sabbatical, um, there was a combined youth camp, and it was just for middle schoolers, and they needed someone to preach at it. And he said, I'll do it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, and all the crazy things that you're doing right now, you're so stressed out, you're so burnt out. Why are you going to go do a middle school youth camp? Like, really? Uh, But he did. And so, of course, I went with him, and he preached a phenomenal sermon, and All the kids were, the oldest was 14, so they were from 12 to 14. And he said, you know, he says, if anyone wants to come forward for prayer, I'd love to pray for you. And and he talked, he he preached this sermon about cutting the spiritual umbilical cord from your parents' faith to your faith, from becoming your own faith. And he says, there comes a time in every young man or young woman's life where that spiritual umbilical cord needs to be cut. And then he did like the description of the rubbery, <laughs> you know, when, with the when, he had, to cut when the, he had to when he cut had to cut the umbilical, yeah. the umbilical cord of our first son and he was so grossed out by it. And um, It's so, super gross, man. Yeah, so he yeah. like demonstrated yeah. it and, and really went for it. And The teens loved it. Yeah, they loved it, you know, and yeah. they're laughing. And so anyway, and then there was this big bonfire afterwards that, you know, if you're going to a youth camp, you go there to, to make out with people and have a good time, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, and Rose, yeah. at least try to. You're yeah, try at least to. imagine that you're you going to. You have hope, yeah. you know. You yeah. have hope that, you know. <laughs> and the holier girls think they're going to meet their husbands and the, the guys are just there for the fun. And it's just great, you know. Um, it is a beautiful little microcosm. Yeah, and yeah. like all these kids didn't know him and there was a few hundred kids there and they didn't know who he was. He preached a sermon and then they, they said, okay, anyone that wants to stay for prayer can, but everyone else run off to the bonfire. And no one did. They all stayed. They all stayed. And this line of all these kids that wanted him to pray for them. Wow. And I was standing there and I'm like, this is ridiculous. And he prayed for every single kid. Took him probably two and a half hours after he finished preaching. He doesn't mess around when he prays for people. He doesn't mess around. He doesn't just pray a pat prayer. He listens to God. He gets right down in their face. He doesn't stand up high and... He, he crouched down and he looked at every single one of those kids and he affirmed them and he loved them and he prayed for them and he pointed them to Jesus. And he did it until 
they said, it's lights out. So, so many of the kids just missed all the fun, but they waited in line for hours to be prayed by him. And that is one of my last memories of him. And I'm so thankful that that is in, in there because the way that he honoured what I would say the least of these is an example of who he was. That's my guy. Mm. I can't top that. No, I'm not going to. You don't have to. <laughs> I mean, that basically answers my last question, which was, you know, for, for people who never got a chance to meet him, how would you like people to remember Simon? I want them to know. I feel like what Simon gave, his gift to the world was that he said, hey, I'm a flawed, broken, wildly inappropriate um, human being. I struggle with deep anxiety. I have hypochondria, which he did painfully. Always thought he was dying. And, of course, he dies early and I just feel like he is so stoked about that because he told me he was dying from the moment I met him. (laughs) So he's like, I told you I was dying. I just feel like that's all I hear. She has a point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm dying, I'm dying. And um, he, he didn't hide the fact that he always thought he was dying. He didn't hide the fact that he was afraid to fly. He didn't hide the fact that he had phobias and quirkiness. He didn't hide the fact that he took anti-anxiety medication. He didn't hide any of those things. He was open about them. And he didn't feel like that impeded and that he, he didn't feel like he was a bad witness because of it. It actually, he used to say, I will pick up the stick that the devil has beaten me up with and I will take that same stick and I will beat him up with that same stick. I will not go find another one. So if he's going to torment me in my mind, I am actually going to fight through that. I'm going to talk about it and I'm going to help other people that feel tormented in their mind and I'm going to tell them, hey, this doesn't disqualify you from the work of God. And he showed everyone that you could be an absolutely flawed, broken, hot mess of a human being and shine so beautifully for Jesus. You know, I feel like he is the Leonard Cohen quote Mm. personified. Yeah. There's a crack in everything, but that's how the light gets in. And I feel like that's who he was. He never hid it. And because he didn't hide it, we have an entire church that knows how to rally and come together and be okay with our brokenness and to love each other through it. And we can do this, you know, and that's what I want his enduring legacy to be. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have your life together. You don't even have to know a whole bunch. You just need to know who Jesus is and actually believe that it's enough. Then go do it. That's what he did. Bam. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty special. Massively. Love it. I think that's where we have to end it. So it ends. So it ends. We love you. Love you too. Thanks for talking with us. Thanks.
fireflies they dream just to feel what we've seen to be lost in the beauty of love and you say that you'll never forget of its flame and you'll hold to its warmth all the day As it burns to the end of our days.